It's Talking Football with Vince Tracy and Rob Daniels. This podcast is brought to you via my favourite platform, Skype. So a very good day. Welcome everybody to our podcast for today, the 10th of November, 2022. Well, our weather is glorious. It's um, going to be hot, but it's not going to be overly hot. No wind about, and all in all, it's rather nice. Let's get in the fictional car, go across the uh, motorway, down to Playa San Juan, and say good morning and welcome to Rob Daniels. Good morning, Rob. How are you? What's your weather like? Yeah, good morning, Vince. Good morning, everybody. Uh, the weather down there at the moment is beautiful, Vince. It's... Um Bright sunshine, long shadows, which you uh, do see um, at this time of year, sort of autumn, but uh, very, very bright. Um, lots of people walking about. Uh, most of them seem to be wearing uh, short sleeve shirts, so it must be quite warm in the sun. Just have to be a bit careful on the night time, though, because at the moment the temperature does drop quite a bit, and you've definitely got to wrap up a little bit more at night. But so, yeah, beautiful. Okay, well, look, um, the big, big story of the week, of course. I thought it was a joke when I first got a message telling me that Liverpool Football Club was um, up for sale. Uh, and of course, the thing is, you know, you don't want to hear it. Uh, it's your own club. You probably will feel exactly the same if Leeds get new people coming in. But of course, uh, you then start looking a bit more into this and you feel that there is a bit more to this than meets the eye. Uh, for example, we're told on again, looking at uh, the websites this morning, uh, we're told that um, reports that Liverpool Football Club owners Fenway Sports Group may have been seeking to sell the club were met with some trepidation. Um, trepidation, it should be that, surely. By many fans who nervously questioned just who might be willing and able to afford the £3 billion plus price tag which I'm reading now obviously for many the only possible answers seem to be the nation states that would seek to buy the club uh, for sports washing purposes or individuals likely to load debt onto the club to finance the purchase um, now according to the manager Jurgen Klopp who of course um, is a um, he's got to be as well informed about this as anybody I would think uh, he is talking about a full sale not being on the cards. He said Chelsea got sold. We're looking for investors. Klopp said this when asked about the recent reports of a potential sale following Wednesday night's penalty shootout victory. That's last night over Derby County in the League Cup. He says it is completely different. As far as I know, they're looking for investors. And that makes sense. Whatever happens... I'm committed to the club. Nobody had a heart attack when they heard the news. For many, Klopp reaffirming this commitment to the club amidst the reports of a potential sale and given the struggles on the pitch the team have faced so far this season, that's going to be equally important. Um, his 
committing himself along with um, if it, that that's a need it, maybe people need more than probably the background finances they probably don't understand but of course the background sil- uh, uh, finances allow Jurgen Klopp to do well or do as well as um, the likes of Newcastle, Man City and um, Manchester United. Uh, so um, it might improve the club's ability to compete financially while keeping a generally responsible ownership group in charge moving forward. That doesn't sound too bad to me. What do you think? Well, that doesn't sound too bad, does it, Vince? Um, if they're just sort of uh, thinking about bringing some new investors on board um, and not actually selling it outright and having new owners. Because this um, this company, FSG, who um, own Liverpool at the moment, and owned Liverpool since uh, 2010, where they paid a lot of money for it then, by our standards, I think it was £300 million, wasn't it? And now it's valued at something like £4.5 billion. So uh, it, the price has gone up a lot, but they've had some very successful seasons, haven't they? <clears throat> um, I mean, Klopp there, I think he's been there for about seven seasons as the manager. And as we know, he's really transformed Liverpool. Um, not having a particularly good season this season so far, um, but they are getting there. They've got a lot of injury problems. But um, Liverpool in the last 12 years have won, <clears throat> I think it's six major trophies. Um, including um, a Champions League, including the um, Premier League title, which I don't think Liverpool had actually won in the Premier League era until that stage. It was one that they always came just very close to, but never did it. Um, so yeah, they've had a really, really fantastically successful run with these people in charge. Um, Klopp has brought some uh, excellent players and he knows where to look as well. He brought Virgil van Dijk in. He brought uh, Alison Becker, the goalkeeper who at the time was the most expensive goalkeeper in the world. Um, but he's a good ball stopper. He just comes out with his goal often, too often, doesn't he? But that's part and parcel of Becker. And he also picked up Mo Salah, apparently, at a relatively bargain price. So uh, they've had a very successful time um, over the last 12 years. And to bring investors on board rather than just selling it does seem to be the sensible idea to me, Vince. Um, the problem always is that you read, it's like everything, it's like the news in the world today. We're all reading things and getting conflicting evidence and conflicting detail. Um, for example, I'm reading now a 4.3 billion Liverpool takeover plotted by Dubai investors who failed with the 2007 bid. Now, uh, were you aware that that sort of headline existed, or is this is this news to you? We probably it was probably mentioned at the time if there was if any rumours involved in it then, Vince, but it doesn't spring to mind at the moment. No, one one of the things that happens, I think, um, has always happened, but these days, especially with the social media and everything being so quick, is that people just invent rumours and they get passed around so uh, so quickly that people start believing them. Uh, but I haven't actually seen that one. Um, what I've read is more like what you said. Okay, well, this uh, is... this is about bringing investors in rather than actually selling it to... Uh, and no, nowhere I heard um, any sort of Arab influence either because the company that own it at the moment are American, aren't they? Well, yes. They might share, they might share it with some Arab backers, we don't know, but um, I haven't heard that one, no. Well, um, well, I'm reading this, and it's written by a guy called Freddie Keithley, 
um, sports reporter. Date is the 8th of November 2022. So we know that this is relevant to what we're discussing. Investors in Dubai are weighing up purchasing Liverpool for $5 billion. That's $4.3 billion uh, after Fenway Sports Group, FSG, because we'll be talking about that so much, uh, put the club up for sale, according to reports in the Middle East. Now, you see, that means that, obviously, um, they're getting a totally different Um, way of looking at this in the Middle East. FSG are willing to offload the Reds after 12 years of ownership and released a statement on Monday confirming. So the statement is actually saying, from what they're telling me here, it would consider new shareholders if it was in the best interests of Liverpool as a club. And Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley, very, very well respected names, are assisting with the process as offers are invited. Uh, then it goes on to talk about the valuation of $3.5 billion by Forbes in May, nearly 12 times the amount FSG purchased the club for in 2010. Now, thinking in terms of low inflation, and looking very, very quickly at that 12 times um, investment, has <laughs> it's done very well for them. The American sports investment company has set the $4 billion asking price. And now that again, um, it was 4.3 the last time I saw it earlier today. The prospect of Middle Eastern investors buying the Anfield side appears one of the more likely options due to the wealth of the Gulf states. In an eye-catching update on Tuesday, this is Arabian Business reporting the Dubai International Capital DIC could be eyeing to purchase. Then it goes on to give us this very, very crucial bit. It wouldn't be the first time DIC has attempted to take over on Merseyside as it failed with a $360 million, that's $312 million, Bid back in 2007, Samir Al-Ansari, the founding chairman of the Sovereign Wealth Fund, opened up about the offer during an interview with Arabian Business in 2014 and claimed there was a hold-up due to him being a Liverpool fan. Um, We would have been the first to do it. Um, that's a takeover out of this region, Al Ansari said. As soon as they, Liverpool, won the Champions League in 2005, we got serious about due diligence in 2006 and almost signed in 2007. Um, I don't know how much we sort of realised that was going on, although this doesn't surprise me. Does it surprise you? No, it doesn't, Vince. Um, I think things, uh, especially with the big clubs, I think there's always things going on behind the scenes, aren't there, where people are um, offering to buy them or offering to invest in, and things like that. But and, until it actually becomes, if you like, um, the stage where Liverpool is at the moment, which have actually published the fact that um, there is something happening there, <clears throat> a lot of the background stuff we don't actually, actually get to find out about, do we? But I'm sure it's going on um, all the time. Well, if it's true what these Arabs are saying, uh, they were then going on to say that Liverpool were bought by Tom Hicks and George Gillette Jr., who ran up huge debts prior to FSG taking over the club in 2010. 
DIC as a chance to go on better than 15 years ago. And of course, Liverpool would be in a much bigger situation, as that's my comment. Um, and of course, then it goes to say that Newcastle were bought by Saudi Arabia's public investment fund last year. And Manchester City have been owned by the Abu Dhabi based uh, City Football Group since 2008. Um, also, French giants Paris Saint-Germain were purchased by Qatar Sports Investment in 2011. Can I ask you, does that make you happy to think that all this Arab money is going into the Premier League? Um, what does it make me too comfortable, Vince, is the fact that um, a lot of the Arab money that's going into uh, football tends to be sort of like uh, governmental-based or state-based, doesn't it? Um, this uh, Qatar International um, Fund or whatever they call themselves is basically an arm of the uh, Qatari authorities, isn't it? Um, whereas at least the uh, <clears throat> American buyers, like them or not, um, the ones who turn the game into uh, selling sort of uh, candy floss at half-time and dancing girls on and things like that, at least they're sort of private investors, aren't they? Um, it doesn't really hang very comfortably with me. I don't know why, but... Um, a foreign country actually buying um, the rights to a football club rather than some private investors doing so. That's just my opinion. Well, no, no, no I, I want your opinion because uh, basically there will be people listening to our podcast all around the world and wondering why maybe we're a bit hot under the collar because it's American dollars uh, or the Saudis money that is going to um, maybe be invested into the Liverpool area, which, of course, um, maybe it doesn't matter too much to me now because I've lived away from Liverpool for a long, long time. But uh, the fact of the matter is that... But uh, why can't British money be investing? Why is it that they've got to rely on the Arabs or the Americans? Well, it just shows you that there isn't the interest coming from Britain. That's the way I would see it. What about you? Well, <clears throat> yeah, it depends. Um, in Liverpool's um, case, I'm not sure. There might not be um, <clears throat> any English um, money, actually, well, any English money to invest in it, basically. But... Um, yeah, I, I would prefer to uh, have some of the top clubs back in, um, well, not, I'm not particularly patriotic, Vince, as you know, I'm relatively, relatively patriotic, but having it back in English hands. Um, at the moment, I've, more than half of the uh, Premier League clubs are in uh, foreign investment um, hands, aren't they? So, uh, yeah, I would like to see more uh, English input into football, but it's not happening. Um, there's a guy called Sir Jim Ratcliffe, and... Uh... He basically on Monday, uh, he's a Manchester United fan and he says he's not going to attempt to purchase the Anfield Club, which is, you know, fair enough. He's the richest man in Britain, apparently. Um, in order, he wants to focus his ambitions on Nice. So they're all at it. Um, you know, just as we've got the Arabs and the Americans putting the money into the uh, the English league. Um, it emerged on Monday that the FSG group were willing to sell the Reds after 12 years at the helm. Now, that's conflicting with the other report that we say that it's all about investing. And you see, that, that that's the annoying thing, isn't it? Who is actually then going to be right? Um, apparently, this 70-year-old Ratcliffe guy has embarked on many sporting ventures in the past and has owned League One club Nice since August 2019. He's a boyhood, boyhood Manchester United fan who has been a season ticket holder at Stamford Bridge. 
he failed with a late bid to try and buy Chelsea from Roman Abramovich earlier in the year. On Tuesday, he ruled himself out of attempting to purchase Liverpool, stressing that there is better value to be found in the French top flight, where he aspires for Nice to challenge Paris Saint-Germain. A spokesman for Ratcliffe told the Daily Telegraph, Our position has developed since the summer and we are now focusing our efforts in Nice and raising our ambitions for the club to make them into a top-tier club in France to compete with um, FSG. This would present much better value for our investment than buying one of the top-tier Premier League clubs. That's another angle about this that I must admit uh, I haven't read up till just now. What did you think? I haven't heard that up till now either, Vince, but um, as you say, there's so many conflicting reports at the moment. I think we'll have to wait um, at least another few days until things become clear. Um, but yeah, there's so many different things. You can imagine now this um, this wealthy English guy who, again, I've never heard of. I didn't um, hear about him involved in Chelsea either, although he probably was, but there was so many different names involved. But he finds it better value in the French League. You can imagine a couple of French guys there doing a podcast similar to ours about the French League, complaining about English investment in uh, French football, can't you? Well, I would imagine that, um, unless I'm mistaken... I would imagine that they probably aren't aware of just how deep that uh, investment goes. And uh, I mean, by all means, they are aware probably of the fact that the Arab money's there. But I don't really think um, I've never heard anybody talking about English investments because obviously uh, with our history with France and with, um, you know, people um, building up this uh, rivalry, the intensity of rivalry between French and English, uh, and of course, all the problems with the channel and the, the immigration problem, and and uh, you know the French aren't stopping that particular problem. I would imagine they've kept it quiet again. It's like everything, isn't it? Uh, people just don't seem to want people to know exactly what's going on. No, well, I mean, again, it depends whether or not these things are sort of. Um... <coughs> have the right to be sort of public knowledge. Um, again, they are private uh, football clubs, aren't they? And sort of try to keep their own affairs in the background as much as they can. But I think, on the other hand, uh, football is such a massive sport that it really, information coming out about what they're doing, I think it should, should be freedom of information, shouldn't there? Um, not too many things being done completely in secret. But, um, yeah, they, they, all, they all like to keep things under the hat as much as they can, don't they? Well, I, I think that the trouble is that the, the whole world has become uh, a hotbed uh, of uh, inaccuracy, um, secrecy, and very often lying. And so, really, we don't know for sure which of these uh, statements that, that we're reading and, and, you know, all these different articles. Um, for my way of looking at it, I would say... What Klopp has said, not because I'm listening only to Klopp, I've read both, uh, well, about four articles on this now. Um, one of the articles that I looked at, they were talking about three reasons why the £3.5 billion um, has already been rejected. 
Now, uh, apparently, um, it's all to do with John Henry and the Redbird Capital Partners and all that sort of stuff. Uh, they're putting the price up over near to four billion. And they're talking about reasons to sell in the article that I was reading the other day, which seems to have suddenly disappeared. But they were talking about number one profit. Well, you can see the American economy is uh, not as strong as maybe they would like it to be. Um, the collapse of the Super League. I remember when John Henry had to come along to the uh, English fans and apologise because obviously they were talking about these top six um, clubs, including Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United, etc., um, breaking away and forming this Super League uh, in Europe. So um, that comes into it somewhere. And then a comment you made was absolutely right. It was the fact that you've got state-backed um, uh, um, well, I suppose they are companies, yes, uh, but state backed and state-owned clubs now uh, like um, Man City and um, Newcastle United? Yes, there's um, that's a, the, there's all sorts of uh, foreign investment. And from what you've just said, um, I know that in, in Spain, it's a slightly different system in Spain. Um, but it sounds like in the French League as well, there's lots of foreign investment if this English guy's taken over Nice. But um, yeah, it's a... Well, I personally don't really uh, approve of um, state-backed football clubs, um, just just because I don't. But um, we all, we always criticise, or we don't always criticise, but often criticise the Americanisation of football as well. So um, really, we can't win one, one way or the other, can we? Um, but I prefer the American way because it doesn't seem to see any kind of sinister um, spectrum in the background, as far as I can see. Okay, let me play a jingle and then we'll change. It's Talking Football with Vince Tracy. And of course, Rob Daniels, do us a favour. Okay, Rob, uh, differences between the Carabao Cup and the FA Cup. Now, these um, are slightly different. I'm just quickly reading that the Carabao Cup is the English Football League showpiece cup competition and is one of the three major honours of the domestic football season. And it features all clubs from the EFL and Premier League in a straight knockout format across seven rounds with the semi-finals being played over two legs. Then it talks about the FA Cup and uh, every country has at least one domestic cup. And in England, the biggest and best of them is the FA Cup. FA meaning Football Association. And the beauty of the FA Cup is that it is open to the first nine levels of English football described uh, above and usually over 700 teams um, are started. So uh, it's quite interesting because you've got two really good cup competitions there. And of course, uh, we've had the Carabao Cup is clearer to see if we talk about it uh, that way and uh, we've had some big big games during the week haven't we so what can you tell me about what's been going on right Vince yes um, during the week this week um, Tuesday and Wednesday and there's a match on tonight actually Man United Aston Villa tonight 
Um, it's been the third round of this uh, Carabao Cup, the League Cup uh, competition. And this is the round where all of the Premier League teams get thrown in with the uh, remaining teams from the previous two rounds who are also members of the league, but the ones who've got through so far. Um, and quite a few of the Premier League teams actually got, got drawn against each other, um, which was quite interesting. Other teams got uh, drawn against teams in lower divisions, as is Liverpool, and they drew uh, Derby County, didn't they? And um, held Derby County to a, a nil-nil draw. Um, Liverpool were using um, a young team, which uh, Klopp admitted to because he's been criticised for that in the past, but he's quite open about his tactics now. He likes this com cup competition to try out new players. Um, to give them a run, to give them a run out, and um, get some match experience, and also to play against um, seasoned professionals from other teams, possibly uh, a division down in this case with Derby. But Derby is a very strong team; they they've got the same squad virtually uh, week after week. So the lads, five debutants last night playing for Liverpool, uh, managed a nil-nil and then won on penalties, but against a team which uh, basically plays together every week in and out. <clears throat> so uh, that was Klopp's sort of tactics on it. Um, Spurs had a different tactic, actually. Spurs put out one of their uh, strongest teams, only to lose against uh, Nottingham Forest, who uh, are also in the Premier League at the moment. So, yeah, some interesting uh, matches over the uh, last couple of days. But what the format is, Vince, is because the schedules are so tight, since last season um, the in this Caribou Cup, there's only, they only play 90 minutes. 90 minutes, and if it's draw after 90 minutes, it goes directly to penalties. No extra time, <clears throat> definitely no replays anymore. <clears throat> it goes 90 minutes, then straight to penalties, which quite a few of them did last night. Um, Southampton won, Sheffield Wednesday won at the end of 90 minutes. Southampton won 6-5 on penalties. West AM 2, Blackburn Rovers 2. Blackburn Rovers now being the uh, championship. So it was a 2 all draw. That went to penalties, it ended up being 9-10 to Blackburn. So uh, that must have been an exciting penalty uh, shootout, if, if there was one. But um, yeah, it's one of these competitions that um, is going on at the same time as uh, everything else. And it's one that we try to uh, mention. It does tend to get overlooked quite a lot, doesn't it? But um, we always try and give it a mention. Man City beat Chelsea 2-0. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a... a Good, good couple of nights of football, wasn't it, Vince? Yeah, um, just looking back to the Tuesday, I watched uh, Bournemouth. They hammered Everton 4-1. Uh, worthy winners. Uh, then I saw Leicester beat Newport County 3-0, uh, which they should have won, obviously. Brentford, they drew with Gillingham, but they went out. So Brentford went out 6-5 on penalties. So there have been mm. some quite big upsets. Um, and, of course... You know, people do tend to be only, ah, oh, we've won the Premier League. Uh, we hear the Manchester City fans, of course, uh, speaking quite lucidly about uh, how wonderful the, the, they are. And they, they are the best club. I do, I do think that their football uh, has been superb over the last few years, closely followed by Liverpool. Um, but um, Arsenal looking good and they'll be quite surprised to have gone out, won't they? Oh, they will have done, I think. They will be surprised, actually, I think, Vince. Um, I say each team, um, Klopp went in playing um, a team full of um, younger players, five of whom haven't played before. But they got through with it. Um, so Klopp's intention, if you like, for Liverpool to go through with the younger players actually worked. 
None of the teams actually go in there to deliberately lose, I don't think. Although in the past, um, there have been rumours of certain of the top teams who would rather concentrate on the European competitions, maybe not taking it so seriously. Um, I think there was one season actually where, I think it was Man United at the time, um, didn't actually register to play because they had to play one of these um, world comp- world club competition yeah. um, Super Cups somewhere else in the world. And they didn't actually register to play in this uh, cup competition because it's not compulsory. But this season, I think everybody seems to be involved, yeah. Well, I mean, for Liverpool, for example, they're the, the holders. And last year, they won the FA Cup and the Carabao Cup. Um, and, you know, there was a great uh, procession through the streets of Liverpool from the airport right down to the city centre. And in actual fact, uh, from what I saw, that was a bigger celebration than for, uh, well, of course, they would also um, had the Champions League run as well. Uh, but when they were coming back and having all that attention and having a great um, ticker tape parade throughout the city. I looked at the um, Real Madrid Champions League um, uh, celebrations and they were quite muted. Uh, so, you know, th- th- there is something to be gained by winning a cup. It, it is something special. I-, I think people forget sometimes the arduous nature of uh, any of these cup competitions, including, of course, the best of the lot, the Champions League. So, yeah, it's nice to see some of the less, I, I don't mean to be derogatory, but some of the lesser teams uh, doing well. And, uh, yeah, I was pleased to see they uh, actually did have... Um, you know, a couple of upsets. All right, then. So uh, let's uh, play a jingle and move on. It's Talking Football with Vince Tracy. And Rob Daniels, nonetheless. Okay, and we're also going to look at um, some World Cup news. So, what have you found for us on the World Cup news? Right, Vince. Well, the World Cup is just round the corner, as we know. It's um, we've only got one more um, Premier League um, match day until they stop for the uh, winter break that they've been forced to have um, because of this World Cup. So, uh, there's a lot of um, concentration at the moment on the World Cup in Qatar. Unfortunately, or as could be expected. Possibly. Um, not not much of it is positive publicity. Um, there's a lot this week um, in all sorts of different news um, media about the uh, Qatar stance on homosexuality and um, gay people's rights, which um, certain members of this LGBT plus community are up in arms about because they think they should be able to go to anywhere, anywhere in the world and dress in whatever rainbow outfits they want to do and basically... Uh, overtly provoke, uh, promote their um, sexual ideas, whereas it's actually banned in uh, Qatar and many other places in that part of the world. They just don't, they just don't think it's um, the right thing for people to do, and I suppose that's their right to their opinion. However, um, I don't see why, if there are um, homosexual or people of different gender um, preferences, as they say, who actually support football, and I'm sure there's quite a few, I'm sure we've both been to football matches where other members of the crowd involved in that but you just don't notice because they just look like normal football fans if they go along as normal football fans and watch the match um, they'll have no problem I don't think Um, another thing that's been mentioned uh, in the news quite a lot this week is Seth Blatter 
the um, original official, the president of FIFA, when the World Cup was given to Qatar in 2010. There were lots of shenanigans in the background at that time. And since then, Seth Blatter has actually been banned from having anything to do with football um, because he's convicted of corruption. Not in the Qatar situation, but um, he was actually convicted of corruption, possibly facing a prison sentence. He's 80-odd years old, so he got the suspended sentence. Um, but he's banned from any involvement in football. But he actually came out and uh, said it was a bad decision to... Uh, play the World Cup in Qatar, even though he was part of the people who decided on this, did all the deals, because he said the country is too small. It's too small for, um, a, well, geographically it's too small to actually hold a World Cup. They've had to build seven new stadiums because uh, it's, not a, it's not a country with a great football history, so they've had to build seven brand new stadiums. Um, and he basically, re well, regretted. He said it was a bad idea, even though it was him that was the... <laughs> one of the forefront of the idea in the first place. But yeah, there's also been a lot of this um, negative publicity about the building regulations when they were building all these uh, stadiums because apparently workers' rights were completely ignored as far as we can uh, say workers' rights anyway. A lot of the workers were um, more or less enforced immigrant labour and nobody knows exactly how many of these uh, people were killed in the uh, construction of these grounds because they didn't keep accurate records, because um, they didn't have documents and things like that. Uh, so if somebody was killed on a job, particularly one day, they just were forgotten about the next day, and um, so they didn't even keep records. That has had a positive side, actually, um, on the uh, Qatari work um, mentality. Even they do take some notice uh, from time to time about uh, the rest of the world opinion. And since this has become so negative against Qatar, this uh, building uh, rights and things, they've actually brought in some new working regulations, which are not very um, good compared to Western standards, but at least now um, an indentured worker, if you like, a, a worker who is forced to work for an employee. Until recently, they couldn't actually leave that, um, that employer's employment unless they had a written statement from the employer letting them go. So they're basically kept as slaves. Now people are allowed to leave the job of their own free will, which is only a little bit of progress, but at least it's progress, Vince, isn't it? Well, it is. And, you know, uh, going back to this business of uh, the gay community, the uh, well, the whole spectrum of uh, being different, etc. Uh, if a country has decided that's the way they have their rules and that's the way they, they conduct themselves. Um, I don't think the United Kingdom or any other country, uh, certainly the Americans, uh, have got um, any right to turn around and say, uh, we, I want you to change the way all your society works. Um, no, sorry. Uh, it's like the, the, there are people making huge issues of something that doesn't exist. You or I, or any of our friends, if we went out to a football match, you wouldn't look to the left or the right of you and uh, want to know whether it's a gay person or a straight person or given any title you like person. Uh, you go to watch the football, or, or you don't. If you, In my case, I don't particularly want... I've never been one for going uh, to the football matches because I used to play rather than, than watch. Um, but, um, unfortunately... 
There are people with agendas now who are trying to change everything, all our way of life. The World Economic Forum is behind virtually everything. And when they set this whole thing up, it was dodgy then. And we've had David Beckham going round uh, as their ambassador, making a fortune. Um, and probably uh, all these other people who are quick to tell you uh, what's right and what's wrong. Um, this is not our business. Our business is nothing to do with deciding how everybody else has got to behave. Um, we have rules and regulations and we, we try and live with them. Whichever country you, you, you choose to live in, that's the way it should be, isn't it? Well, it is. I mean, you've got to respect um, every country's norms, haven't you, and laws. Um, and as I mentioned when I was speaking earlier on, that I, although it is illegal and uh, the Qatari authorities probably wouldn't approve it because um, homosexuality is illegal, but if people of that persuasion do actually go along and watch football and just watch it like everybody else, don't make a big song and dance about uh, wearing different clothes and kissing each other in public and all that kind of thing, because they do have certain days of the year where we should belong to them, basically, where they can do all that kind of thing in the Western world, don't they? But if they just went along and watched football like everybody else, um, I'm sure that nobody would uh, bat an eyelid. But of course, there are certain members of uh, all of these different communities who like to make a big song and dance about things and turn it all into them, don't they, really? I mean, at the end of the day, there are so many issues. One of the main ones, which seems to be forgotten about at the moment, is the actual football itself. But, um, yeah, they're trying to make the, this into the big issue of the World Cup, aren't they? OK, I'm going to play a jingle, then ask you a question. It's Talking Football with Rob Daniels and Vince Tracy. OK, so, um, Rob, um, we have Shakira in the papers, a big, big singer who has got some sort of uh, tax uh, query at the moment, worldwide star, and she was the girlfriend to Barcelona footballer, who I'm pretty sure you can tell us a bit more about, uh, Gerard Piquet. Now, are those two um, facts anything connected to Gerard Piquet's finishing his career? Tell us about what's going on. Right, well, uh, Gerard Piquet um, is, well, he was a Barcelona player until uh, a couple of nights ago. Um, I'm, I don't think um, Gerard Piquet and uh, Shakira's current tax affair problems are actually particularly related because although they were a couple and they've got two children together, they did actually um, officially split up in the early part of this year and they both went their separate ways. Um, Jared Piquet's got uh, a new partner. I don't think that is particularly involved in the reason why he um, retired early from football. But uh, you never know, there's all sorts of reasons why he might why he might have done because the more you look into Gerard uh, Piquet, uh, the more you find out why um, it might be the best idea for him to retire from playing active football. But um, he's 35 years old. He's, uh, he's from Barcelona originally. He's from a wealthy family in Barcelona. Actually, his father's a businessman as well. Um, he's an academy player. So he was brought up through the Barcelona Academy. Then he went to Man United, actually. And he stayed at their academy for a couple of years and actually played his first few professional matches for Man United in 2004. 
Then he went back to Barcelona. <clears throat> He's uh, 397 uh, league matches, 29 goals. International, 102 caps, 5 goals. He was a World Cup winner um, in Spain's 2010 World Cup winning run in uh, South Africa, where he played a brilliant uh, defensive partnership with uh, Jordi Pujol. They only let two goals in in seven matches, and they had four clean sheets. However, um, Gerard Piquet uh, announced his retirement from being an active footballer um, only about a week ago, a few days before the final match he played. Now, um, his final match was one was a bit disappointing for him because that was uh, away against uh, Osasuna on Tuesday. So it was a away match at the north of Spain during the night. Gerard Piquet was on the bench. He was all wrapped up in... Uh, in a coat and everything like that, and he actually got sent off before he came on the pitch by having a referee, an argument with the referee at half-time over a sending off in the first half, and uh, the referee actually sent Gerard Piquet off in his last official match while he while he was sitting on the bench. So uh, it was a bit of a damp squib. I think he's sending off, or he's send off. But um, there are various reasons that he was persuaded to retire. <clears throat> Apart from the fact that he was um, now he's 35 years old and he was actually the fifth choice for centre-back at Barcelona. So he wasn't first choice, hasn't been for a few seasons now. <clears throat> but um, he has also, he's got a company and it's called Cosmos. Because he's a business, uh, brought up in the family of business people and politicians, um, he has got business interests and they are very, very wide. But he has a company called Cosmos, which is involved in football. And his company Cosmos, um, two or three years ago, just before COVID actually, bought the rights to the Spanish Super Cup, which is the uh, Spanish version of the Community Shield, which is the winner of La Liga against the winner of um, the Spanish Cup. And it's the first match of the season, which uh, is in the Premier League. And it's like an opening of the new season. But this company, Cosmos, which is owned by Gerard Piquet, bought the rights to it and sold the rights for the next five seasons to Saudi Arabia. Um, <clears throat> so when the, the Super Cup was first played in Saudi Arabia, it was when things were first getting back to slightly normal after the uh, first COVID thing. It was people just thought, well, the Arabians and the Arabs are buying up all of these sporting competitions. They must have bought this as a one-off. Um, but then it turns out when they played again there earlier this season, the uh, Spanish Super Cup, it all comes to light that Gerard Piquet's company has basically sold the rights to the, uh, this competition to Saudi Arabia for the next five years, which hasn't gone down well anywhere, really, in, in Spanish football. Um, one of the early complainants about this was Athletic Bilbao, who won the Spanish Cup last season. Um, but as we've spoken about, Athletic Bilbao are a very special club. They only have players playing for them who are actually born in that area. And, of course, their supporter base, although they have a wide supporter base, is mainly based in that area. And they're not the kind of people who can just buy a ticket to go to watch um, a match in Saudi Arabia, and they can they can go and watch a match if it's played on Spanish soil, possibly, but they they just it's impossible for them uh, really for a lot of the supporters to actually go and watch a match there. Yeah. So, okay, uh, Rob. <laughs> um, look, I'm going to play the jingle, then give us La Liga because there's been games, haven't there? Yeah. In, uh, anyway, lots of uh, sorts of Yeah. Here we go. Rob Daniels. Daniels. Okay, Rob, what's been happening during the week in the matches then? Well, in La Liga, since we last spoke, Vince, we've had uh, two matches because uh, we had the matches at the weekend and then we've had midweek matches as well because they're trying to uh, play a bit of catch-up before the uh, World Cup starts as well. 
So um, at the weekend matches, there was a surprise actually in the final match, the Monday night match, where Real Madrid um, played Real Vallecano, which is another team from Madrid, and actually lost 3-2. It wasn't even close, actually. It was 3-2 in about the 60th minute, so it wasn't as if uh, Real Vallecano pulled any surprises. But uh, Real Madrid definitely weren't expecting that, I don't think, um, which puts them three points behind Barcelona, who are in first position at the moment. There was the Madrid derby at the weekend, which was Real Betis against Sevilla. Uh, oh, sorry, the Seville derby, Real Betis against Sevilla, which is always um, a major event. And there were four red cards, direct red cards uh, during the match. Lots of yellow cards being dished out left, right and centre. Lots of actually um, fighting, scuffling on the pitch. It wasn't just handbags. These uh, players were actually sort of laying into each other because they hate each other that much. The result was 1-1, but it was quite a good spectacle to watch. Um, and I say they've, they've had um, a second league, um, second match day during the week. So at the moment, the way that we stand is we've got Barcelona at the top, um, 37 points after 14. Real Madrid five points behind after 13. Then Real Sociedad, Athletic Club Bilbao, Real Betis and Athletic Real Madrid um, in all of the European positions. And going down to the bottom, there's no real change at the bottom. Um, my local team, Elche, unfortunately lost again um, by one goal in both matches that they played over the last few days. Bottom of the table on four points. I think they're 99% candidates for the drop, but at least they'll have had a couple of decent seasons in the uh, in Liga, so sounds to remember. But yeah, it's, it's all exciting in the Liga, but again, we've got to stop for uh, between the next match and I think they come back on the 4th of January, if I remember correctly, uh, the Spanish Liga. So it's quite a big break there. OK, here comes our Premier League review. OK, we started off with uh, Aston Villa, new manager. Uh, they were playing Manchester United. I thought United would win. You thought United would win. Villa 3, Manchester United 1. What did you make of that? Well, that was a bit of a surprise result, wasn't it, Vince? Um, and it could be the new manager's syndrome um, because um, Unai Emery, as uh, we mentioned last week, had taken over at Aston Villa. And he um, he had taken over officially by that match against uh, Man United. So he, he is very thorough when he comes to preparing. So he will have got to know all the players very, very quickly. But in his first match in charge, Aston Villa, who were going through a really bad period, um, actually beat Manchester United 3-1. So, uh, yeah, that was a very good start to uh, Ewan Ivory's uh, uh, time at uh, Aston Villa. And we'll have to see what he can do from there on. OK, big London derby. Chelsea, they were entertaining fierce rivals Arsenal. Both uh, of us thought it would be a draw. Chelsea nil, Arsenal won. Yes, now, this was um, a big London derby, wasn't it? Because um, apart from the fact that Chelsea are interested in uh, keeping their own position, which is still fairly high up in the table... Um, they want to beat their, their North London rivals, um, Arsenal, but also to knock them off the, uh, top, of the league, uh, top of the league at the moment. Because they still are. Um, Arsenal still top. And uh, they didn't manage to do it, didn't Chelsea? There was only one goal in it, and it got to Arsenal in uh, the second half. So, yeah, it was uh, Chelsea nil, Arsenal won, and Arsenal was still top of the league. Everton, Goodison Park. Uh, so, how would Frank Lampard get on with the old Liverpool manager turning up with his Leicester team? Uh, so, we thought it would be a draw. 1-1 for you, 2-2 for me. Everton nil, Leicester 2. 
Yes, now for a very, very um, slow start to the season, where they, they were bottom, I think, for um, a couple of uh, matches at least, uh, Leicester City have sort of um, come round, if you like. Uh, Brendan Rodgers, with a very sort of weakened squad, they don't have much of a squad base, but he's worked his magic on Leicester, and they're actually uh, going halfway up the table now. They're uh, not in a relegation position at the moment, and um, Everton having a bit of a dodgy season. So, yeah, Leicester City beat Everton uh, 0-2 away, which is uh, three more points for Leicester. OK, so Leeds United, your team. F- well, uh, we both knew you'd win. We knew that you were going to beat Bournemouth. Uh, but, strange game, and so tell us what happened. Right, well, that was uh, a bit of a ding-dong match, actually, for Leeds. Um, Leeds went up in the first, after three minutes with Rodrigo scoring. Um, and then Bournemouth came back, one all, one two, one three to Bournemouth. It went, and I was beginning to think, oh, not again, not again. Um, but then it went um, two three to Leeds, or two three to Leeds, three all to Leeds, which was uh, the captain, um, Liam Cooper, actually scored the um, goal that draw. He's a brilliant captain, actually, for Leeds. He is. And then the final goal, the winning goal, was scored for these by this guy called um, he's called Silencio Somerville, who scored in the last match as well. So we'll have to find out more about him. But yeah, got... Okay, Sorry. Rob. So um, I've just got a quick call there, which I just had to take for a second. Um, we then go to our next game, which at the moment I have uh, not got two hands. Sorry about that. Okay, I'm back here with Manchester City. Dodgy penalty in the last minute. They beat Fulham 2-1. We both thought they'd win 4-1, but um, it was a dodgy penalty, wasn't it? Oh, it was, Vince. Um, yeah, it was a very dodgy penalty. And, um, yeah, it, it didn't, didn't really uh, basically sunk, uh, sunk the opposition, didn't it, that, uh, that dodgy penalty decision. However, it stood. Um, it was... A, it was a completely obvious referee mistake, though, wasn't it? That's one thing that we have to mention. It's one of these things everybody else could see it except for the referee, which fortunately hasn't happened over the last few matches, but it did do in that match. And, um, yeah, Man City won the match 2-1 in the end, so uh, the points go to them. Well, I'm afraid I see dodgy uh, dodgy dealings again. Brown paper... It, it didn't look like the referee was waiting to blow up, didn't it? Before it did. The, uh, actual, it might just be my take on it, but before the uh, the incident actually took place, it looked like the referee was just dying to blow up about something, but uh, there you go. He did. Um, OK, Forest 2, Brentford 2. Uh, you saw that one right. I saw it wrong. Uh, time constraints make me look next at Southampton against Newcastle. Uh, you thought Southampton would win. I thought, uh, sorry, you thought Southampton would win. I thought Newcastle would win. Uh, so uh, Newcastle on a bit of a run and Southampton lose the manager. What do you think of that one? Well, yes, that was uh, Ralph uh, Huffenpuff's final match in charge of Southampton, wasn't it? He got sacked um, straight after, I think. And they've got a new manager already who's called Nathan Jones. Nathan something you told me earlier on. I haven't heard of him, but uh, good luck to him at Southampton. Yeah, um, Newcastle are in third position now. They're having a really fantastic time at this uh, point in the season after a slow start. And they haven't been beaten now for, I don't think, about eight matches, possibly nine matches. So uh, Newcastle definitely one to watch out for. Southampton, sorry, with a new manager. 
you thought Spurs would beat Liverpool. I thought there might be a draw. Liverpool did win, but second half, I thought Spurs did play much better than Liverpool. Uh, just about managed to shade it with two Salah goals, but uh, did you enjoy the game? Um, I did enjoy the game, actually, Vince. And, um, yeah, it's good to see Mo Salah back on form again, actually, because he was off form for quite a while. And um, over the last few matches, he's been knocking them in quite regularly again, hasn't he? So he got the two goals for Liverpool in that match. <clears throat> it was it was close because Spurs are um, a very competitive team and they're right up there. They're above Liverpool, actually, in the table, but they're right up there towards the top anyway. Um, but, yeah, I did enjoy that match. But, uh, yeah, the result went Liverpool away in the end. OK, uh, so our last game's West Ham. You thought would beat Crystal Palace, so did I. It was the other way round. Crystal Palace beat West Ham. And Wolves, uh, well, we both thought that Brighton would win that. And it turned out Wolves 2, Brighton 3. Now, sorry to rush, but we have now got to go to our predictions uh, because we're into the last nine minutes as we start with Bournemouth take on Everton. What do you think that will happen? Bournemouth Everton. <clears throat> Playing at Bournemouth, it's a long way from Liverpool, isn't it? Uh, although they do fly down there on luxury planes and things, but for the fans to travel, I think this will be a one-all draw, Vince. OK, and I think it will be a 2-2 draw, so we're both on the same page with the result. Brighton, uh, they are at home to Aston Villa. I think Brighton will win this one 3-2. What do you think? I'll go along with the um, new manager syndrome and uh, I'll go I'll go in Aston Villa's favour, actually, this one, Vince. I'm going to go 1-2 to Aston Villa. OK, and you've every reason to think that. I can understand that quite clearly as we go to flame. Now, dodgy penalty. They'll be furious that they nearly beat Manchester City. And we've got Manchester United coming to see us. Uh, so, I think Fulham can win this 2-1. Yeah, they're going to be very angry out there after that um, late late uh, penalty decision um, in the last match against City. Um, having said that, though, Manchester United are on good form at the moment. So uh, I've got it down as a 1-2 to Man United. Liverpool, well, uh, we need consistency. Um, he's played the young lads in the midweek game um, against Derby. So, um, yeah, they might have had a little bit of a rest. They should just about beat Southampton. I'm putting them down for 2-1. Yeah, some of the uh, top players will have had a few days off, won't they? Although they don't get much rest in the uh, schedule that they've got. Um, Klopp did play uh, the younger team, didn't he? So, uh, yeah, Liverpool, injury problems taken into consideration. Should be able to put out a decent squad. And uh, I think they'll beat uh, Southampton as well. I think they'll beat Southampton 3-1. OK, Man City, I think, will thump Brentford 4-1. What do you think with that one? Um, I've got it slightly less, Vince, but I think uh, City, if things go to form, they should thump Brentford. I've got it down to 3-1. OK. Uh, Newcastle, resurgent, great form at the moment. I think they'll just about beat Chelsea 2-1. Well, because of Newcastle's recent form um, and they've been getting a lot of uh, four goals in during a match recently, I've actually stuck my neck out a bit on this one, Vince, and I've gone for 4-1 to Newcastle. Wow. OK, Forest Palace. Well, they've recently had a game, so they should know each other. Uh, Palace to win 2-1. Right, well, Forest, um, they beat Spurs last night in the um, EFL, the uh, League Cup. 
since their um, win against Liverpool, they've actually turned their head. Well, they're, they're playing again. Um, they basically started playing. I can't see them doing this, though, against Crystal Palace because Crystal Palace are very competitive. I think it'll be a long, old draw against. OK, Spurs. Who are playing there? Would it be your team? Yes, it is. Leeds. Spurs will be um, trying to make uh, amends after the Liverpool loss at home. I can see Spurs beating Leeds 2-1. Yes, unfortunately for Leeds, um, they're playing Spurs at a time when Spurs are going to be looking for revenge on somebody, aren't they? Because they uh, they had the bad result against uh, Chelsea last, last week, or against Liverpool, sorry, last week. And also they uh, went out of the uh, League Cup against uh, Nottingham Forest. So I'm hoping that um, Leeds will be able to keep it together at least. I've got it down as a two-all, Vince. OK, West Ham play Leicester. Um, I think this will be a draw, actually. 2-2. Two -two. Right, I think that West Ham will actually pull this off 2-1. Although um, it is, it could be very, very tight. And it is involving two of... Uh, well, two of the best managers, isn't it? Definitely two of the, your favourite managers in uh, the Premier League, which is David Moyes and Brendan Rodgers facing each other. But I think West Ham are slightly stronger. I think they'll do it 2-1. OK, Wolves. They'll need to shuffle the pack. But they do have a new pack leader. So uh, will there be enough bite in their attack? They're playing Arsenal. Goodness gracious me. Not much of a chance for me. Uh, but they'll put up some resistance. Wolves nil. Arsenal 2 for me. Yeah, well, the Wolves have eventually got a new manager, haven't they? And they, they have been playing some decent football uh, all through the season. It's just they weren't getting the results. But managerless for so long, they were just floundering about in the dark, really. But now they've got somebody to actually try and pull them together. I think they'll be trying to pull a surprise because everyone wants to knock Arsenal off the top. I'm going to go in favour of Wolves in this one, Vince. I'm going to go 2-1 in favour of Wolves. OK. Right, well, we are nearly up near the end of our time together. Um, we had all sorts of things that needed discussing. Um, but let's just go over that penalty. Um, Fulham were really, really acquitting themselves well against Manchester City. I got the impression that that referee was hovering with his whistle ready to blow. It didn't matter what would happen. If maybe uh, one of the players had stooped over to uh, start tying his bootlaces and a Manchester City player had gone over the top, I think he would have blown for a foul. So um, it's the VAR again. It just really... Makes my blood boil. You watch the rugby union, you hear the guy in the studio saying, uh, I'm not too sure really whether or not that particular event has, has been the way I've seen it. Would you show me from another angle? They talk through how the, um, the play has been and then they'll make a sensible decision that we can all understand. Why don't football think like that? Well, um, hopefully things will, <clears throat> will change um, as things go on. There's a lot of talk next season about things that might happen with the VAR system, um, such as having more accountability, being more transparent. But I think the uh, referees involved in the VAR um, setup at the moment, they like to uh, keep themselves as a closed shop, don't they? They like to be able to keep it amongst themselves. But yeah, that penalty decision, I mean, uh, Harland had just come on basically in order to take a penalty by the looks of it. So when you look at it with hindsight, it's like Harlan's been injured, but he comes on and then in a 90 plus five minute, Man City get um, a ghost penalty really. It shouldn't have been given and Harlan blasts it into the back of the net to uh, 
get that nonsense of the point. It didn't seem to be fair to me, unfortunately. Um, and nope. Fulham, I would say, at least deserved the draw. OK, so dodgy penalties, shenanigans, VAR, Chinese betting. Who, who knows? OK, Ron, thank you very much indeed. Uh, once again, um, another hour has passed and uh, enjoyed your input. Thank you, Rob. My pleasure as always, Vince. Look forward to next week. Thank you, Rob. Cheers.